Yavin William right there. <laughs> and with that, welcome to another Spotted Goats podcast. I'm Nathan. And I'm Jeff. And we're glad you're here. First things first, we've, today's going to be kind of a longer episode um, because there's a lot to talk about. But before we go anywhere, I want to say um, thank you to William. Um, we hate to say it in a way, but in another way, we're really, really glad to say that uh, his career is taking off and he no longer has the time to donate to this project. And the the time that you've spent and donated to this, is it's unbelievable. You've been fantastic uh, for someone that literally just came in out of the ether and uh, said, sure, I'll help you total strangers, middle-aged men. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? You look inviting. Yeah, <laughs> you don't look like you own a white van. Um, so thank you. Um, many, many things. Yeah, of course. Um, as as we've said before, William donated his time for this. Uh, we were hoping to this point that we would be able to be somewhat self sustaining. It has not happened to this point, and that's neither here nor there. Uh, William, congr- uh, congratulations on the uh, expanse of your career, and we thank you for that. Um, uns- that being said, also we're unsure about the future timing of upcoming episodes there's a lot that we have to do wait this is new information no <laughs> yeah, no right <laughs> jeff i have something to talk uh-oh, to you about uh-oh. no um so if there is a delay in future episodes uh then hold tight uh and enjoy the old ones god knows that there's plenty to talk about <laughs> no uh, we we're going to be working hard to uh, get all of these questions about the future taken care of but i just wanted to go ahead and say that out loud thank you to william and uh thank you to all of you for continuing to be with us uh, today is a it's a tough subject to discuss and it's pretty complicated. Uh, this is a big one, and Jeff uh, has one. I've not wanted to talk about this. <laughs> like I like to poke the bear. Oh God, he's been poking this bear for a while. That came out wrong. Um, <laughs> Did we just lose our clean? Rating? We just lost the cleaner. <laughs> I'm going to leave that in because that's just too good. It's got to be. Oh God. Okay. Anyway, hi. Um, this is a subject I don't necessarily like to talk about, but I think it's one that's very appropriate. Uh, I've gotten a lot of ch- questions at our at our uh, shared church experience about some of these themes, and I think it's important in this climate that we're in to talk about it. We are divided as a country. We have been for a while. Uh, the totality of my adult life, uh, we've got a, we've had a lot of divisions here in uh, the United States in American society. Uh, we are divided as a church in multiple ways. Uh, the church is a, uh, a fractured, albeit still great, human, fractured, mm-hmm. broken, nasty, stinky, wonderful institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and these divisions, you know, naturally, if you're going to have a divided culture, then you're going to have a divided church. You're going to have divided sure. politics. Um, and I find, you know, there was a time in which I was very, very politically active. Very politically active. I bet I got you beat. I'm sure, yeah. You do. I've you, got a degree in government. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, I like to talk. Um, <laughs> but I like to figure out how to get your money exactly. and not really do anything. So you are in government. So I have a degree in government. <laughs> <laughs> so, so all that being said, um, I used to be very active in it. Now I'm not. Uh, our goal in this is to be honest in our evaluation. Um, we're going to be taking a look at, yes, this the sound you hear, this is me putting my watch down so that I know I'm trying. We won't go forever on this. Um, we're going to be talking today about, we're t- taking somewhat of an autopsy of a crime scene. 
of how the church and politics got in bed. And I'm going to go ahead and say that our goal is to be honest in our evaluation, first of all. First and foremost, always be honest as far as our opinions are concerned. Mm-hmm. But Absolutely. we're going to give you our honest opinion. My goal is that you don't know how I vote. Well, I'm going to tell you how I vote, but I hope my goal <laughs> is you can't tell if I'm conservative or liberal by the time it's done. Right, exactly. But we're going to talk about it. Of course. We're going to give perspective that leads to introspection, hopefully. That's my goal. Uh, we are. It is not our goal to be unnecessarily contrarian in this. Well, maybe it's not well, your goal. It's I not, like to be contrarian. I didn't say I wasn't going to be. I said it's my goal not to be. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of people that I hold very dear, your opinions, your relationship, mm-hmm. that might hear this, and I'm going to say some things that will probably tick you off. Well, absolutely. And, I mean... I, th- I think this the reason this needs to be talked about is we need to kind of go under the water level uh, or water line, I mm-hmm. should say, uh, when it comes to this, because our society gets into our churches mm-hmm. and then our churches tell us that we should vote a certain way, have a certain political ideology, that we should be certain things. I just had somebody tell me something like literally five minutes before we started something that is the antithesis of who I am. And yes, I've read the book of James. I know it says be doers, but I don't need to be walking in and have somebody go, we're doers, aren't we? Cause we don't want to be those slack blank beers. Mm-hmm. We're more than beings. Right. Actually. No, I'm a being that does stuff. Right. Right. But that's what our society does. The individual that said this to me, great person. Think a lot of him. I've reached out to him in really hard times. And I get what he's saying, and so I give him grace. Mm-hmm. In that moment, I give him grace. But what is happening in our society is that if I listen and follow the way of the world, I should be angry with him right now. Yeah. Because he has said something that I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Instead of going, hold on. What is the real message? Like, what is he really trying to say? He was saying, because he had asked me how I was, I said, man, I'm tired, you know, trying to trying to make it. So and what you're saying is, is if you somebody says something with, with you know, that you disagree with, uh-huh. then you should not commit social media homicide? Wait, what? I'm just saying out loud. That uh, he can still be a good man and not be evil. Right. Because we disagree. Right. Exactly. And we're going to get into that. Yeah. But that's where our politics is bringing us at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's not what the intent was for the church. Right. It is also our goal not to be stylish or edgy. Uh, one thing that I've noticed, especially in social media, like Christian podcasting and Christian YouTube circles, is that it's very cool to think of yourself as edgy right now to criticize the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's what everybody's doing. So I want to be totally countercultural and agree with what the whole culture's doing. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and tick you guys off, too. I'm in a mood, y'all. So so I'm going to just tick everybody off. Um, no, it's not our goal to be stylish or edgy. Once again, we're just trying to be honest. We want to be honest and ask honest questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and to render ultimately to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. I've heard that somewhere. It's kind of smart. Mm. So, and also, I want to say this out loud. No, this is not that Israel episode. I'm getting a lot of questions about the situation in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. 
tons of questions about politics, the church, and how we should align based on what's going on in Israel right now. Uh, I will not go into that whatsoever. This is not that Israel episode. I will say that my stress level is zero <laughs> about that situation over there. Of course, my our prayers, it's a horrible situation. But um, in terms of what we're supposed to be talking about, this is not it. Well, and uh, I have a, a friend, an older gentleman. He's got to be getting close to 80. Um, was at dinner with him the other night, and he was asked to say the prayer before dinner. There was probably 12 of us. And his comment, or somebody said, or what are we going to say about Israel? And he goes, just wait. At which point he prays, and he ends his prayer with this. And Father, we pray for peace for all those who are in Israel and near them. Boom. Period. Full stop. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so when we sit here and say, okay, do you support, does Nathan support Israel or does he support Palestine? Does what, what, I love that's people. not the goal, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, but we can have those conversations uh, without, without hating each other at the right. end of it, right. you know? But this is not what we're tackling today. Right, no. So, so what we need to talk about is when did church become so, and Christian life become, become so political? You know, you remember the old idea of never talk politics and religion? Uh-huh. You, I remember that. Oh, yeah. Uh, apparently, um, that was just how we were raised. It was the rules of the barbershop. It's the rules of the cigar lounge. You don't talk about politics or religion. You just don't. That's the rules of polite society. That's how I was raised. And William's nodding as if he can agree that he remembers that. And I wish that he did, but you're not as refi- you're not you're not as vintage as I, William. But no, in all seriousness, you never talked about uh, politics or religion until 1962. Uh, the trend, what I want to do is I want us to go back and take a, take a timeline look at the history of the marriage of church and state. So the transition from the 50s to the 60s, I call it picket fences to protests. Uh, 1954, LBJ, he had the amendment that disallowed 501c3s from campaigning for candidates. Hmm. So Didn't know that was a thing. You didn't? No. No. Churches cannot endorse a political candidate. Oh. Well, um, what you, happens when they do? <laughs> they're supposed to lose their tax exempt I've got status. some addresses in Murfreesboro. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to put it out there. They are supposed to lose their tax-exempt status uh, because no religious body that is a registered 501c3 is now able, uh, as of 1954, when LBJ was a senator, uh, to uh, campaign or endorse candidates. Nate, why did they do that? Like, what was the purpose? You know, I don't know the whole history of how it got to Uh where it was, but the purpose was uh, to remove the vulnerable position. In my mind, it was to remove the vulnerable position of people looking for spiritual leadership and political leadership. Now, not to marry those two. And and once again, I don't know the whole story behind it. I haven't done that research. But I can tell you also that around this time, around this time, was the beginnings of a little something you and I call the civil rights hmm. movement. Okay. And many minority leaders, some of them prominent pastors coming to prominence to lead marches, to lead demonstrations, rightfully calling for equality regardless of your ethnicity. Okay. And this was in the 50s. Started in the 50s. So for a guy that wasn't born then... 
uh, that's new information because I always think of the 60s when right. I think of the civil rights movement. Right. The civil rights movement really started in the mid-1950s. Um, and it was, a, it, was an, it was a different time. It was a different uh, United States at that time. Uh, we move forward. Th- and you have to think about this for a minute. Think about this. You have religious leaders. Martin Luther King Jr. was a pastor. Mm-hmm. So him and others whose names and titles start with reverend, Mm -hmm. for example, whether you agree or disagree with their politics, I don't care if you agree or disagree with their politics. You cannot think that the civil rights movement was a bad thing. I can't believe that the call for equality of racial justice, it's not a bad thing. And a lot of these people had pastor in front of their name. So I'm not putting two and two together. I'm not, uh, I, I don't have evidence to say this. But it seems to me, circumstantially speaking, that there has to be a connection between disconnecting the influence of churches from that of politics and then this coming thereabout. Mm. So what you're saying is, if I were to, to reflect that back, is that possibly, possibly, due to the fact that the civil rights movement is starting to take off, and so many of those leaders were involved spiritually, we wanted to influence their ability to get into positions where they could actually make the change. Right. And so I'm drawing a blank on it. Uh, the name of the church that uh, Martin Luther King pastored in Atlanta. Oh, gosh. Regardless. Uh, you remember? I don't remember. I don't. Slip but so, so they could not put him up for Senate. Right, and then put the weight and of then the, the church, church behind yeah, it, exactly, or that the Southern Baptist Convention could not pool their resources, much like they do for missions work, and mm-hmm. put certain individuals in place. Theoretically, theoretically, but now we have super PACs. We're, yeah, we're in a different place thing. now. But that so, does, but okay. that was the. I, I think there's got to be. I mean, uh, circumstantially, it looks like there's a connection. Yeah, it feels like it. So in 1962, then we move forward. That was the year that the Supreme Court removes public prayer from schools. And this happens to be right in the exact middle of the civil rights movement. So do we want to talk opinion here? Yeah, go for it. This is what we do. Okay, so... This entire episode, completely unscripted. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, running on caffeine and gummy bears. Um, Goodwill. (laughs) uh, So this idea of prayer in school, I know it gets a lot of people's dander up. And I know that... There are churches that preach on this and that I'm getting ready to say something that uh, will not be accepted by all Mm -hmm. uh, and people will look at me differently. But my mother, who was very politically motivated, yeah, um, I mean, she was the only white member of the NAACP club in Williamson (laughs) County when she was in high school. Uh, you know, with her red hair, fair skin. Right. <laughs> I mean, um, but she was, in my mind, you know, cutting edge when it comes to these ideas. Uh, pulled me out of an all-white school and put me into to a school here in town that at the time was the segregated elementary school. When she put me in there, we still didn't have air conditioners because that's where black kids went. And if I'm really out there, and this is not an opinion, but what you would hear were things like, well, their skin's darker, they can handle the heat better. We don't need to spend money on air conditioners for them. Right. And so the reason was, is my mother wanted me to know that not everybody was like me. And you can get along with folks that are just like you. That's super easy. 
But to get along with someone who disagrees with you or has a different culture or a different background, that's a little bit tougher. And if you can learn that, you can go far in the world. <coughs> now, the reason I think of that when I think of this is exactly what she taught me as a child. Because I come home and say, I can't pray at school. At which point she says, who says? Oh, well, it's a thing. We're not allowed to pray at school. Who's going to know? Well, I can't, she goes, you can't pray publicly. But that doesn't stop you from praying. And we had conversations like, okay, so does that mean that I have to give up my rights to practice my religion? And her response was, absolutely not. But are you ready to stop class and have, she would say this to other parents who were devout Christians that attended churches in the area that we know. And she would say, okay, so when, when you want your child to pray your Christian prayer before a meal, are you ready to stop class and everybody pray to Allah <laughs> however many times a day? Because she was ready to accept that not everybody is the same. And my and perspective... Think, sorry, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no. My perspective was so the other way sure. growing up as well. Because... You have when I look at how established America looked, you know, established America mm-hmm. faced a radical moment here. Yeah, um, because for all they knew, George Washington wrote the Book of Genesis, <laughs> and many of those. You have to ask yourself in a situation like this, who is trying to capitalize on your fear? Ooh. Uh, established America was afraid in 1962, and many mainstream Christian leaders. Like Billy Graham, who I have mm-hmm. mad respect for, and many others saw this as an effort to humanize America, turning it into a humanist culture, putting people in the middle of it. You know, that's basic, uh, that is basic Greek thinking, that's Hellenistic thinking, putting people right in the middle. And that's going to come up again. Of the again, universe, and again. and again, and again, and again, and again. Many mainstream Christian leaders fell in with the pol- the politicians that opposed that uh, Supreme Court decision mm-hmm. saying, look, if you had just voted for these guys, we wouldn't live now in this godless, humanized, idol-worshipping America. Despite the fact that MLK was a pastor. So you see the contradictions here? On one hand, you've got people crying out for... We need, you know, we need God in, in culture. We need mm-hmm. God in schools. We need God here. We need prayer here. We need all of this. It's all falling apart over here. Well, the, op- the other side is the guy that's leading the charge for justice and equality and, and, and you know, racial harmony, he's a pastor. He's a Christian leader. He's just the wrong color. Mm. So you have an entire society in the 1960s ripping itself apart, never mind the fact that there's the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, that had started in the early 1960s, actually really started in the late 50s, but started really went in the late, early, uh, mid-1960s and rolled along. So mm-hmm. you've got a culture in turmoil. You've got hippies. Mm-hmm. You've got soldiers. You've got traditionalists. You've got all of them all together. And I know this doesn't sound too far from now, mm-hmm. but, but you have a lot of different uh, places that are all trying to capitalize on fear. Yeah, because if I can can institute or instill fear, I can divide. And if I can divide, I can control. Right. Right. And I think that's really where we're getting down to it. And when I 
when I hear about this, one of the things that comes to mind is the fact or the, the items that C.S. Lewis would address. We yeah. forget this is not heaven. This is not where we're going to end up. This is not the goal. We are quite literally walking through the shadows. And we are to be the light. We don't need the school. Wait, I thought we were supposed to be establishing a Christian nation. We're doers. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> yeah, so but but to that point, you know, is is that the United States of America is not the city on the hill. It shouldn't be the light of the world. It shouldn't be all of those things. That is a Christian mentality. We are to be the light. We are to reflect the light. And I don't need an endorsement or an approval to do those things from the government. So when we think about using fear, we're using fear to control. And I know we'll talk about it later, I'm sure, when it comes up as we're working through our timeline. Uh, I beg the question, is this a lot of what we see in the LGBTQ community today? But we'll get there. This is the beginning of Christendom. In the mm. United States. Yep. There's a difference between Christendom and Christianity. Mm-hmm. And we Christianity is what you and I, we celebrate, we try to live in. It's a, it's a, a way of life. Christendom is something different, in my opinion. Christendom is a political, institutionalized version of Christian rule over a political system. And there's something that's completely different. And I renounce Christendom. I want to say this in the most clear terms possible. This is just me speaking. Christendom is toxic. Christendom was never Jesus' idea. This war, And you know the old song that we all used to sing, this world is not our home, we're just a passing through. Preach. Um, you know, you sing this and then you pray that God take over our schools and all that. And what that really means is that politicians who pander to God take over our schools. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going way off track here. Um, but the response, sorry, go ahead. Well, the thing is, is as we're talking, this is one of the, the, this is one of the areas that, uh, I have to tread very lightly with friends of mine. Certainly. Same. Because, um, we've got a lot of folks around here that feel that as fathers, you and I both, Mm -hmm. that our children should be equipped to be in the ranks of this Christian army (laughs) and that using your idea of Christendom, that this Christian army should go out and conquer. It didn't work too well in the Crusades. It's part of the reasons we have problems still to this day. But it makes me wonder, what if I equipped my child to be ready to go wash nasty hippie feet? Mm-hmm. I think that brings Jesus to the picture a lot better than coming in with sword and shield, onward Christian soldiers, and uh, trying to conquer. Jesus was not a conqueror. Um, not in this sense. He was not... What about know. the white horse, Jeff? <laughs> they get dirty really, really <laughs> fast. Um, but do you see what I mean, though? Yeah. I, I think we're missing the boat. And one of the things I have to be very quiet about, because I have to try not to laugh, when I have individuals that start preaching to me that well, this is a Judeo-Christian country. Sorry, pal. It's... Not It was never the intent. When you look at Franklin, who was a womanizer, who didn't like to bathe and really loved to drink. What he smelled happen, great. What would happen if that guy walked into your church today? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Or Jefferson, who said, yeah, the separation between, you know, the wall of separation of church and state. 
people forget that that was in a private letter to a Baptist church. And the reason he said it was because he didn't want his rights as a deist, not a Christian, but as a deist to be infringed, just like he didn't want their rights as a Christian to be infringed. And so I'm going to beg the question, if this was founded as a Christian country, why are we not all Anglican? There's my question, because most of these guys were Anglican. And the reason, like Jefferson, you can go to Williamsburg, Virginia, and see his box in his church there. The reason he was Episcopalian was not because he believed in Christ. It was because you couldn't get a job if you weren't a member of the church. And so that's why we see this. But nobody wants to acknowledge that today. The fact of the matter is we had a lot of really great men. Who were trying to do brilliant good things, ideas. really trying to do some really great things, but they weren't doing it for the sake of Christ. And I think we really struggle with that. And so I think we have to put that out there. That doesn't mean that this isn't a wonderful place where we get to worship. I mean, we're sitting here in a church. I see three different church steeples of three different you know tribes of Christians looking from out this your window, window looking out the window over our very rhythmic air conditioner unit. yes <laughs> hence the hum in the background but we look there and and that's the thing is like I think it's one of the beautiful things um, for those of you that don't know I'm a huge huge believer in um, the the motives and the ways the Episcopal Church moves and breathes when I look out the, the window here and I see an Episcopal church and realize they were having these questions about social justice well before we were. And when you know the history of that church that you look at and go, oh, isn't that steeple beautiful, how it you know, rises so far above the church? And you realize, no, it didn't. It used to be level with the roof. The mm-hmm. reason it's not anymore is they said slavery is bad. And we're taking out the slave galley, and we're moving the roof. And so they were having questions about social justice and involvement in community and what should society look like. And they impacted it how they could. They didn't go in and say, well, the mayor of Franklin's got to be Episcopalian. (laughs) They just said, we're going to love people where we are. We have this little piece of land, and we're going to show people we love them. And don't let this – don't let bifurcated thinking – completely poison your logic mm-hmm. because it's not an issue of either the founding fathers were all card carrying members of the Southern Baptist convention or mm-hmm. they were all God hating baby sacrificing. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not like that. There's a huge middle ground in between there. And this is what happens now with the civil rights act, with the uh, constitutional amendment to ban prayer in schools, with the removal of the 501c3 participation and political endorsement, you then have the church starting to get much more involved in politics because they are being told uh, by their leaders that they have to start voting as a block in the mm-hmm. late 60s. Uh, and their response was the election of super Christian, the all pious, the wonderful, the holy Richard M. Nixon. <laughs> Even Billy Graham supported Richard Nixon. In, in, in Knoxville, Tennessee, there was a massive rally where, with Billy Graham preaching, and Billy Graham gave his stage to Richard Nixon. And, and even, even to this day, I mean, 
God rest his soul. I think in his later life, uh, Graham knew that that was a mistake to do that. Uh, because when Nixon got up, he started speaking politics. And they start, you notice when your politicians start waiting for you to talk first to know how to sound, mm-hmm. then you, ha- you need to pay attention to these things. Of course, Nixon then, later on, not too long later, uh, would be uh, convicted in the Watergate scandal, mm-hmm. where he's obviously breaking the rules. And in 1973, we have Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. The Christian community thought by investing their time and their support into someone like Nixon that they would get, and and Nixon wasn't an he was a, an outward Christian. You know, he mm-hmm. did not. You know, he he was obvious about his religion and his faith. Not saying it was fake. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that faith in politics, voting the Christian in, doesn't mean all of a sudden that you your the entirety of your nation is written in the King James version. Uh, Roe v. Wade comes around. And this was a mammoth blow to many on the right side of the aisle, uh, giving women the nationwide uh, right to an abortion, what they would consider medical choice. Um, Obviously, this was an alarming situation um, because the marriage of voting and religious goals wasn't working out well. It didn't, what about that? Yeah. Who knew? Who knew that this would not work? In the meantime, the old-time gospel hour was being hosted by a young pastor named Jerry Falwell. Mm, warming up the pipes. Yep, here we go. Uh, and eventually, uh, this the ousting of Nixon and the non-re-election of Gerald Ford, or election, I should say, mm. of Gerald Ford culminated with the election of the very kind... Very good-hearted, <laughs> Southern Baptist, peachy, peachy president, Jimmy Carter. We also say very cold by the number of sweaters we saw him wearing. <laughs> Always. Jimmy Carter. <laughs> Jimmy Carter was elected president then uh, in 1976. Uh, and <laughs> and he was. He was, a, he was a, almost to the point, much of the media thought that he was hokey. Mm-hmm. To the point where you know he would talk about you know his love for Jesus, and I'm not dis- I'm not discounting any of that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But Jimmy Carter uh, brought to the White House something that was very comfortable for Christ- the Christian community, the conservative Christian community. Mm-hmm. He brought a devout faith, he brought a love for Jesus, and he brought he brought his being okay with Roe v. Wade. What? What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what does a conservative Christian do when a liberal Christian gets elected and sits in office? Now, do we hate Christians too? You see how this gets nasty? <laughs> you see how this gets icky? Do we see the flaw in the Christian logic here? If we look to politicians to be our spiritual leaders, we have now put our faith in man, and we know that man is flawed. Even Jimmy Carter. And it doesn't even have to be something like Roe v. Wade, you know? Um and that one's really hard for me, uh, and I've got views there. I will not share them right, here. Right, right. Um, however, it's things like, oh, do we know that Jimmy Carter never let his wife take the spotlight because he felt challenged by her and he felt like he was more important? Do we know that he put her in the shadows, even though she may have been smarter and may have had better ideas, but he was a Christian, Mm-hmm. Um, do we know that whenever he would, you know, he was avid fly fisherman, right? 
that she was not allowed to go fishing with him because she always outfished him, and he didn't think that looked good in the press, or that he that would, was definitely unscriptural. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, you gotta let gotta let women in on the fly fishing. Mm. It's good for everybody, just the way Jesus wanted it. Um, you know, so we sit here. If, if we put too much faith in men, then we have now taken our eye off of what our goal is as Christians. If we force people to believe that they're going to vote a certain way because they're Christian. We're taking away their free will. And I do believe that was a big deal for Jesus. He doesn't even make us do anything. He wants us to want him. Like that old canned heat song. I want you to want me. Is that canned heat? <laughs> no, that That's not, not canned, canned heat. Who canned is that? heat. Why am I thinking canned heat? Oh my heat? God. Eat more lifesavers. Yeah, I'm on it. That was Got cheap it. trick, wasn't cheap it? Cheap trick. Yeah. There you go. Well, I'll look over here at William. He knows, right? Cheap trick. Can okay. Heat was also a song by Jamiroquai, and it's highly underrated. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> trying to remember now what Can Heat did. While you're working on that. Yeah. <laughs> so here, here's where my head is going, though. I remember several years ago, um, I took my child to a polling place. And, Nathan, you may have heard this story. I don't remember if I've told you or not. I don't remember. Because I think this is the crux of it. Having a government degree, having spent a lot of time in that, having done work with the city, having an avid interest in politics in general, and having been liberal and conservative, and I won't tell you where I am today, I will tell you, much to the chagrin of some of my more politically activated uh, friends, I cast no votes. I walk to the ballot, walk into the ballot box, and I cast a blank ballot because in the state of Tennessee, those have to be recorded individually. It's considered a vote of no confidence. There are states that will actually, or they require every position being voted for to have a block that says, I vote for none of these because they don't want it to be an accidental no vote. But I'm standing there, presidential election, with my young child. And I'm explaining to him what's going on, and I'm breaking the rule my mother said, you should never let anybody know how you vote. You know, we don't talk about this, not even with family. And he says, Daddy, how do you vote? And I told him. I said, I cast no votes because I don't want to put faith in these guys. I don't want them to think that I condone what they're doing. And he goes, huh, okay. And at this point, he's, you know, in a preschool that's a Christian preschool. He's coming to church. He's hearing all these things. And he says, who would Jesus vote for? And I asked him, well, who do you think Jesus would vote for? And his little, you know, five-year-old mind sits there for a second. And he goes, hmm, I understand. I said, what's that? And he goes, why would we vote for any of these presidents? Because we already have a king. <laughs> this five-year-old is recognizing the kingship of our Savior and realizing that this idea, I'm not going to say it's Tinker Toys, but it's probably less impactful in the story arc of humanity than we want to think that it is. Remember, was it Istanbul? Not um, Constantinople. Not Constantinople. <laughs> um, only kids. Where was it that it was the capital of the Roman Empire for 1,100 years? I'm drawing a blank on the city. Yeah, you're talking. Day. Istanbul? Yeah. 1,100 years. So how many of us know our Roman history Eastern today? Eastern Empire, yeah. How many of us know our Roman history today? Right. 1,100 years. We've been around how long? 
and we think we're the most important thing in the arc of humanity? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe it's not as important as we think it is. We still use their numbers. So, so <laughs> I refuse. Organized then, because as a result of the liberal wins of the 1970s, uh, was a group called the Moral Majority hmm. by Jerry Falwell. Uh, Falwell, by the way, who then did sweep in later and buy PTL from the embattled Jim Baker uh, mm. when all that was falling apart. Talk, he, was, he just happened to always be there to soak up market share <laughs> in Jesus' name. Um, <laughs> but but they connect, the moral majority became a political institution that was not a church, so they could be politically active. Um, they connected issues like the church and state and abortion to an up-and-coming political candidate famous actor hmm. known as Ronald Reagan. Oh, Dutch. And he opposed the non-traditional views, and they they opposed the non-traditional views of the other side. So you had people like Jerry Falwell getting in the ear of Ronald Reagan, who had a lot of momentum, and he's trying to get Reagan to talk about things like uh, all these spiritual issues uh, when the economy is absolutely in the tank. And what do you think Reagan's going to focus on the minute he gets into office? Hmm. He's not going to focus. He's going to focus on money in people's wallets. So uh, they automatically, once Reagan got elected, and Falwell, make no mistake, played a huge role in getting Christians out to vote, getting Christians registered. I think at that point in time, I may be wrong, but only something like 35 to 40% of quote-unquote evangelicals were registered to vote. Mm, that's an um, interesting number. So it was a it was a minority number. It was less than fifty percent, mm-hmm. and those numbers skyrocketed. Think about that now. Think about all the vote stickers you see where the T is across. Mm-hmm. Um, so so, and this is all the result of Jerry Falwell. So for those of you out there who think that this enmeshment of voting and activism and your religion is normal and natural, but don't like Liberty University and all the things that Falwell stood for. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. He did that. What had been personal morality, you know, in terms of personal morality issues, they became connected to a party and how you vote. Hmm. So think about that. It's not, it's no longer, don't talk about politics and religion. It's your religion determines your politics. Hmm. Reagan, however, focused on, like we said, the economy, and the actual movement ended in 1989. The the moral majority itself disbanded in 1989, but George Herbert Walker Bush had already been elected. So what happens when it disbands? A pool in every house? (laughs) A pool boy for every father? Oh, Oh. Oh, that was bad. I'm sorry. Soon. Yeah, too, way too soon. Even even okay. Junior wasn't to the pool boy level yet. <laughs> oh my gosh! I find it interesting how we try to make everything about politics. Yeah, absolutely everything. Um, and I find it also very interesting that um, how we let it into so very much. And the reality is this: you know, with with Reagan. You know, the, the the problem isn't whatever government is the problem. You know, I can't remember that exact saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but government being the problem, we need small government deregulation, which may be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're really doing is making politics small enough to fit in your church. Right. right? Because God's not big enough to be God over What? Yeah. So... Think about that. We're more worried about our politicians. Mm-hmm. 
We are more worried. I'm about to get on a soapbox. I'm not careful. <laughs> we are more worried about whether or not our politician is a is an elephant or a donkey. Mm-hmm. See, I wanted to keep the clean rating. <laughs> we are more worried about which local politician has an R or a D by their name about. than we are about being the hands and feet of Christ. Yep. Because apparently God is God of the universe. But he can't be God of America unless certain politics mm-hmm. rule supreme. I have had... Um, and I know I'm ticking off some of my oh, friends yeah. here. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. Some some men that I absolutely love dearly um, sign up weekly as they where they attend. They, they vote with their, their feet. Um, and it's fine. It's their choice. But when we look at what's wrong in the world today, the reason it's wrong is not because I didn't vote Republican. And that is what some of our churches are preaching, that if you're a conservative, you'll vote Republican, and then all these things over in Israel become a non-issue. Well, they won't say they vote Republican because that's a violation. Uh, They'll say, we'll vote according to the Bible. And the Bible just happens to be on the Republican platform. I don't think my friends understand where the violation is. Yeah, I know. Well, you have to think about this, too. If if a certain – let's – in this case – by the way, I'm not bashing on Republicans. No. Because I'm an equal opportunity offender. I don't like either side. Oh, yeah. Because the other side of that is we want to make government big enough Ugh. that it can control your church from the outside. Yeah. Right? So right. there's equal opportunity offenders mm-hmm. here. Small enough to, to fit in, big enough to control right. from the outside. And I just want to sit here and go, how about you just leave me alone and let me worship, let me live my life. I want to love on you if you let me. And we can we can coexist. We can let this happen. I mean, the irony of the fact that we're talking about, you know, God being on a certain political side, when in this case, that side was also not just, quote unquote, on the side of traditional family values, but it was also on the side of a hyper-grown uh, military-industrial complex mm. and uh, a an economic structure that honestly did not serve everyone. No, I did not just endorse socialism, so if you think that I just did that, <laughs> you can jump in a river. I did not do that. I'm simply calling something for what I yeah. see it as. And, by the way, you're in good company with men like, I don't know, Eisenhower, who kind of led a little thing called D-Day. Yeah. You know, he he had the same warnings. He was preaching from that same hymnal. Yeah. So. Um, we have to keep going, though, or we're going to lose. <laughs> this is such an expense. God, we could do episode after episode just on single parts of this. Oh, yeah. Uh, Falwell became, after the dissolution of the moral majority, he became a controlling influence over the culture wars of the 1990s. Culture wars. Most of you remember this. This was when I was growing up. Uh, the issue of church and state. Media freedoms. You remember the the uh, parental advisories that started oh, popping up on CDs? Tipper, yes, Gore. Tipper Gore, yeah, talking about how all this rap music is going to, you know, it's, it's going to you know, be the death of America. Brain cancer, um, dr- the drug war, and drug policy, mm-hmm. um, and then also Bill Clinton made it easy. His behavior made it easy to to <laughs> to, to um, at least the media is not that he was the first. Let's be honest. Bill Clinton okay? made every easy thing in the room. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he liked Sorry. easy. Let me just say he liked easy. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, we have to think about this. I'm not saying Clinton was the first one because there were oh, many, no. many many presidents in the past. But the media was a different breed at this point. Yeah, and it and the way that it was reported, uh, it 
it contributed to a certain narrative. I want us to also think, by the way, tie this back into the civil the civil rights movement for a second, civil rights movement for a second. When we talk about media freedoms, when we talk about drug war and policy. It is no irony in my mind that the villains in this, the the enemies of traditional America in this case, happen to be a lot of artists whose skin was darker mm-hmm. than the majority of Americans. Uh, their rap albums in this case, their uh, hip hop, their mm-hmm. R and B, these get an mm-hmm. explicit warning. Uh, because it has unsavory, unfamily-friendly topics and tones. And then also at the same time, the Just Say No drug war, which put more people into prison than than I could ever imagine and allowed these people to rot in prison over uh, – and I'm not saying still. that drugs are fine. Yes, they're still in prison yes. over this. It ruined a generation or two. More More people incarcerated in the United States per capita than any other free country in the world. And most of those are drug crimes. But here's the thing that are I we want... a Christian podcast? Because I don't, I don't, I don't even know what's going on right now. I'm not real sure either. But I think it's very. Somebody just said, "Nope." <laughs> That's okay. Hit the one star and move on. Um, the thing is, is that when we look at this, though, at the same time that we see rap music being targeted, we see the "Just Say You Know." I was in elementary school at that point. And all we talked about was weed. Why weren't we talking about Quaaludes and Jordan Belfort? Right? <laughs> I mean, let's, let's really bring it up. Yeah. Why were we not talking about cocaine and Brentwood? We were talking about weed the, and hard bargain. Let's just say it for what it is. Weed and hard bargain, the, the white kids aren't doing that. Right. Right. You're it, exactly right. It's really easy for us to target this. And if, mm-hmm. and like I said, yeah, I'm offending certain people right now, and I'm okay with that well, because I'll offend everybody else at the other time because I love Jesus, and if you don't like it, I'll still love you. But you're well, right. And that's the thing is that, that I think we're missing it here. When we split, I say it, not you and I, right, but as, as a people, when we sit here and say you vote one way you're Christian, you don't vote one way you're Christian – but then we turn a blind eye and say, oh, you weren't hands and feet. You're still a Christian. We refuse to acknowledge that Christianity is more of a discipleship, that there is a discipline that goes into that life. And it's not just when you're pulling the, the, the lever in the voting ballot. Yeah. And so. there's, there's a whole reason, though, that we're going through this. This is more of a – this is less of a theological treatise today, I know. But there's a reason why we're going through this. We're going to get there. After this, through the culture wars of the 80s and 90s, the religious right had become a solid voting bloc. Evangelical is now a political term Mm -hmm. with voting value. When you become a demographic that gets advertised to, that becomes a big deal. That's a whole different thing. And at this point, it was solidified over this period of about 30 years that if you believed in God, you should vote a certain way. If you believed in the Bible in certain ways, then you should vote a certain way. National platforms took on key issues to garner support from this voting bloc. Think about that. They want big government. For example, you know this, part, this uh, platform may want small government over taxation and regulation, but they honestly wanted big government when it comes to social issues. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to enforce these things. Do you think... Do we do, do any of us at this point think that it's because these politicians gave a crap about these moral issues? No, but they wanted to stay in office. That's Absolutely. their job. Their job is to get reelected. I'm ranting. I know this, <laughs> but 
they, the religious right in this case, in bed with certain party elements, became very activist, and in many cases, very reformed. Say more about reformed. It was, I see some tulips coming up. Oh, yeah, here come the tulips. This was an enmeshment of Christian nationalism. Very useful to control voter behavior. About what time would you be seeing this come through? Like, what are you thinking? You know, I, I would definitely say mid-90s. Mid-90s into okay. the 2000s. This is especially when you start when you start seeing... Um, it was definitely prevalent by the time of the, the Bush-Gore debacle. Mm-hmm. Um, because you start talking... At this point, you have churches... I've seen video of churches holding up cardboard cutouts of political figures. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, and the thing with this is Christian nationalism, this lead towards Christendom... Mm-hmm. Uh, it is very, very pervasive because the idea of if you're not for us, you're against us. We heard that out of out of President H. W. Bush himself. Heard it out of a church in Murfreesboro on Sunday. Really? Oh yeah. Um, that that's where this gets me is that we're looking at these these movements, this Christian nationalism. You know. What, what we're hearing preached in certain areas, and quite honestly, it seems like it's intensified since President Trump was elected. Um, but it, it, and I'm not saying anything about him. I'm just saying that about that time, there uh, seemed to be this uptick in, well, if you're not voting for this Christian candidate, you're voting for Satan. Yeah. If you're not for us. You're against us. And this, we went from being two men that disagreed to I'm right, you're evil. To mortal enemies. Yes. And, and the thing is, I mean, in this specific, uh, in this specific climate, reformed Christianity played a huge role. Uh, reformed Christianity plays to, you know, it, it, it. How do I say this? It was very easy for reformed Christianity to say to build in the manifest destiny mm. piece of Christianity where um, this is something that is predestined. Mm-hmm. We will win. God is irresistible and all these things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he's only irresistible and we will win only if you vote a certain way. Mm-hmm. And if you don't vote a certain way, then here comes the control dynamic, which some of you are probably fighting right now, mm-hmm. listening to me to try and, Control me sure. back in. Sure. Um, I am a card-carrying Reagan kid, okay? <laughs> like, like I when I picture a president in my mind, it is Ronald Reagan. Sweatpants and M&Ms. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he was my other grandfather. Like, like that's just the way I was. And Nancy Reagan was my other grandmother. Um, and so I'm not here to condemn all Republicans because, look, the Democrats are just as screwed up. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm looking at, in this case, the religious right as mm-hmm. a voting block, and it was highly influenced by the tenets of traditional Reformed Christianity. The power structure that we've talked about, the idea of uh, without us, you're completely irredeemable. You're complete, you're garbage, you're trash. Aren't you glad we're here to tell you how to live? Translate that to politics. Aren't you glad that we're here to show you how to vote? Just vote straight R. Just vote straight on. Well, I think we have to call out something in that. I think you're very right. Am I saying too much? No, I feel like I'm saying too no, much. No, but I think we've got to broaden the scope a little bit. Yes. Because that is a very true statement as well in certain parts of the country that if you are not 
voting you know, Democrat, Correct. then you're not a Christian. You're right. Because the Democratic Party... The bell says the bell. you're right. The there bell, we go. Yeah, the Found bell the answer. Right. Um, but because, you know, I, quite honestly, we're, like, we're in Tennessee. There's really only two blue areas, right? Mm-hmm. Memphis and Nashville. Nashville. When you cross that Shelby Williamson County Davidson. line... Yeah, when you cross that Williamson County line and come into Davidson County, those individuals that... Quite a few have moved from Memphis, but those individuals look at guys like me and go, how can you live in such a red county? Those churches aren't real churches. (laughs) They, they, they want to control people. They don't love women. They don't support, uh, you know, the others. Give me more destructive generalizations. Right. And so it goes both ways. And, and what I always like to remind them is this. I remember being a child. Going with my father to vote. My father was a Nixon Republican while my mother was a Kennedy Democrat. Fun house. <laughs> um, so going with my father to vote. And there were several voting precincts. But my father, the conservative, wasn't really a church thing. I want to remind people that in that 1980 Williamson County, Democrats voted all over this county. Bethesda Church of Christ, West Main Church of Christ, different schools, different places here and there. If you were a Republican, you had one voting precinct. It was on the square. It was in the courthouse. And it was in the broom closet. because we <laughs> Over had, the pit of lava. Because we had so few Republicans, it was all that was needed. Everybody gets a turn to be wrong. Everybody right. gets a turn to be right. And I think that's what we, we have to really, really acknowledge here is that when we broaden that scope, we're talking about where we are, what we see, the things that matter here. But I think we have to remember the story arc is a much more macro scale than a micro scale. Mm-hmm. And it's going to shift and it's going to change. Yeah. I remember the story when my great-grandmother uh, voted for Reagan in 84. Yeah. And her sister... My crazy great aunt lost her mind because our family were all yellow dog Democrats at the time, uh-huh. right? And she lost her ever-loving mind that she thought she had betrayed the family. She had betrayed our blood. Like, <laughs> like it was, it was, uh, it was a thing. Yeah. But these destructive generalizations, where yep. I, I mean, and even if you know, you take me for example, and you take any other person that lives any other different way from any other area. If we look at each other as enemies, that is. You know, we have a tendency to look at each other as enemies or at mm-hmm. least suspiciously because yeah. of that massive national division that came about, not only, by the way, not only as a result of the religious right. I'm not laying everything on the religious right. Sure. You are absolutely correct that it's just as virulent on the other side where you have many, many people looking and saying that, well, if you're a Christian, then you're a bigot mm-hmm. and, and you yeah. hate women and all these things. Mm-hmm. I think we've established at this point that even just speaking for ourselves, that's mm-hmm. obviously not true. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have lost the ability to critically think in and of ourselves. So now, here we're, here's where we are. The religious right is starting to have some crisis of conscience moments because the old guard is gone. And we're in charge. Uh, so God help us. Oh, yeah. God help us all. Um, so now with the values, the, the new civil rights movement, is upon us, and it's being met by uh, Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z with their own intrinsic values. And it started to shake the foundation of this and all voting blocks. Um, so where do you see this new civil rights movement 
The fact that we're having this conversation. Okay. The fact that we're having this conversation in a religious circle and we know that we'll still be welcome in our church the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we can, I see very, very traditional churches, for example, um, rethinking their position on women's equality. Okay. Um, because it's less of a, we're going to hold on to the past, you know, come hell or high water. And it's a, we really do think now that this is something that we fought the wrong battle. Um, I see it fleshed out in day-to-day life. I see it fleshed out in how our generation are raising their kids okay. to look at people. Um, because let's be honest, let's, the, new, the new civil rights movement of our time, okay? Gender equality, mm-hmm. uh, LGBT issues, racial justice. Mm-hmm. Um, the last, let's be honest, the last five years of existence in North America or in the United States especially have been kind of hellish. Mm-hmm. when it comes to especially racial issues, mm-hmm. military imperialism, mm-hmm. you know, our role as a hegemonic power around the world, mm-hmm. and frankly just changing demographics. If you were to look at my neighborhood now in Tennessee, if you were to look at my neighborhood now versus what my neighborhood looked at when I moved into it in 2007, it would look remarkably different. Mm-hmm. And I think that the way, you know, we talked early on in our episode about the generations, mm-hmm. how generations look differently at things. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, for example, the baby boomers look at, you know, time spent, time served, mm-hmm. you know, you have to earn your stripes and all that. And each subsequent generation looked at things a little differently. Um, our generation, or at least I should say my generation, it very much enjoys being countercultural. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, it's just part of it. Uh, we still know that wonderful sulfur summer taste of water from the fire hose. Um, <laughs> then, and we did it all alone. Uh, no, <laughs> millennials, uh, Gen Z, they all have a different way of looking at things. A different, mm-hmm. where, when it, whether it be their own personal values, whether it be community, whether it be any yeah. of those issues. And because of that, they're just giving up on the gospel. No, that's not the case. Um, the case is... I believe that through their lens of experience, I believe that the gospel is being communicated in a different way. And I think that that is rem- that the influence of political entities that would manipulate them is being weakened because they don't have the same faith in the institutions mm-hmm. that, the, that the generations before them did. Am I making sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're making sense. I think, though, we have to be real careful with some of this. Because of this, there's a word that's being thrown around a lot, especially um, in the spiritual community, and that's affirming. Yeah. Who is your church an affirming church? Um, yeah, we affirm that all people are loved by God. Mm-hmm. Past that, it doesn't matter to me. This language is becoming political as well. Yes, and so I think what happens when you see. When you see churches that feel they have to take an affirming stance, because if they don't, they're afraid they'll lose these younger generations. Um, that smacks of letting the political scene into the church. Right. I'm not saying don't be affirming. What I'm saying is, is don't limit it to the political debate. You Christian know, nationalism can go both ways. What? what? Yeah, I mean, and so not that's, just a Republican problem, right? And so I think we have to be mindful of that as well. And I think that's the thing. One of the reasons I came back to my faith was because of a series a pastor here um, did years ago, 
And I really enjoyed it. Not everybody did, but I really enjoyed it. And it was called Just Jesus Stories. Don't tell me about the rest of it. Just tell me about Jesus. And the thing is, is we see Jesus except those from both sides, from all walks of life. You know, the man who has lived pure and upright, the woman who has lived a, a very uh, disastrous life uh, of immorality. And he didn't feel the need to walk in and go, you know what, I think next time when we pick a Caesar, we need to pick one like this. <laughs> he, he said, let's love everybody. salad, though. Yeah, you know, let's, let's love everybody. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what we have to be careful of is because the world wants in. Yeah. The world wants into this dialogue. And it's one of the things I really love about the church that we attend is that on a Sunday morning, that doesn't become the dialogue, at least yeah. not right now. Right. It may show up and, again. And we'll and if find it, it, does, if it does. We'll work through that. Yeah. But that's, that's a big piece of that is that I think we have to realize that it can sneak in under the door or... About it. And I'm really glad that you said it the way that you did because at the same time, well, I don't want to be, you know, we don't want to be traditionalists for traditionalists' sake. At the same time, I guess when I said we don't want to be edgy, edgy and stylish, mm-hmm. being overly modern, I guess that is our way of saying we're not going to overcorrect and go the other way. Um, it is not the church's place to go either direction. Yep. And if we are requiring the church to put its logo on a flag mm. either way, mm-hmm. then we are doing it wrong. And that is where the, the I, I, I feel that I think we've done a pretty decent job of laying out kind of the history of the connection of church and state. It all came out of fear. And it all came out of political opportunism where players and, and actors decided that they were going to take people that were afraid for their future mm-hmm. and turn them into a rabid mess. But they can never trust the future. Well, and to that point, you can also never trust the past. Right. Because we have to remember there were parts of this country founded on religious ideals. Yes. Their religion didn't match the politics, so they moved to a place that they could. And so we do know that this this is a cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and back to, I love the civil rights movement talk. I, I haven't honestly thought about, you know, what you've brought up as a civil rights movement, but it it, it is. Like, when we think about you know, the, the movement of people and their freedom, you know, we can throw all kinds of buzzwords, oh, the othered, you know, all these different things, we can throw it at it, but the reality is everything has a cycle, and this just happens to be where we are, mm-hmm. um, and part of the reason that means so much to me is I did have a politically active household, enough so that I did... Uh, Uh, get a degree in government, enough so that I've had three generations of my family work in city politics Mm -hmm. at the same time. It was kind of the family business. But the thing thing about it that I'm reminded of is this. The neighborhood I grew up in, in the early 80s, everybody looked like me. Yeah. It's tract housing, it's ranch homes, right? 1,100 square feet, got a decent lot, fenced in yards, and everybody raised everybody's kids. Mm-hmm. Well, in the late 80s, that wasn't good enough anymore. So we built, you know, not McMansions, because they weren't big enough to be McMansions yet, but we built bigger houses. It was a big deal to have a two-story house, right? So we went from the one-level ranch to, and what happened in my neighborhood, 
well, neither of my parents went to college. Funds were limited. So we stayed. Mm-hmm. And I became one of the only white families on the street. And eventually, we know in one of those neighborhoods, Jerry Falwell Jr. put in a pool. <laughs> Love it. But the thing is, and, and this is the part that I think we have to remember if we're going to bring our religion into our world, our community, and all of that, and that is that that community that went from being a white neighborhood to a neighborhood who had white flight and African-American folks moved in, well, those African-American folks are moving out now. And what typically happens, you know, urban history and design, I remember that class, what typically happens is white folks move back in and gentrify. But here's the challenge. The thing we're facing today is this. The white folks aren't moving back in. The Hispanic folks are. So what kind of legacy are we leaving behind to the next generation coming in that may not look like us when we tell them if you're Christian you vote a certain way they may be bringing a different culture they may be bringing different histories into it and that doesn't rob them from the ability to be a Christian Mm -hmm. just because they don't look like me and they don't vote like me and I think that's where the, the beauty of what Jesus preached really comes in he was preaching peace yeah and in 50 years the the either side issues mm-hmm. that we're talking about might be ancient history and it'll, yeah. be too, it'll be a whole different conversation. Sure. So how do we move forward? We've got to learn from history like you talked about. Yep. Um, the idea, I love my friend Marty and Brent over at Bama when they talk about empire and shalom. Absolutely. We have to think about the idea, the idea of empire, the, you know, the Egypt in us wants to run things on power and control. If you're voting so that Jesus will have power, your Jesus is not strong enough. Uh, the idea of empire versus shalom, though. Are we on the side of peace? Are we on the side of the stick? Beware of manipulation. Because if your politician is only waiting for you to talk so that you know, so that he knows or she knows what she needs to say or what he needs to say to get influence over you, that might tell you something like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Here's a big one, and one of the reasons why I've literally not consumed any news in probably two years. Smart man. I've not consumed any news in... I figure if it gets to my doorstep, I'll know about it. Stop feeding the rage monster. There's an entire industry on both the right and the left that feed off your rage, your fear, your paranoia, your guilt, your anger, mm-hmm. and your, your absolute phobia of anyone who looks, acts, talks, walks, or sings differently than you. Absolutely. Don't feed the rage monster. If somebody wants you to fear somebody, ask why. And go out and find out if you should. That's the big. That's the bigger question. Be the mm-hmm. bigger person. Go out and find out if that person's worth being terrified of. Believe and seek God instead of fear, for those of you who are believers. And seeking God is not seeking what a politician tells you you should believe or do about God. That's seeking God. And reach for commonality in conversation over confrontation and division. We're a lot more alike than we think. So, Nathan, if you don't mind, uh, I'm going to read a section of this. Um, I was introduced to liturgy, to liturgy, a while back. wasn't really part of my upbringing. But I know that this topic brings a lot of anxiety. And it brings a lot of anxiety for folks that are, you're in my age, 
near 40s and older Mm -hmm. because we've been programmed. There's part of our life that's been ingrained that we should think and do things a certain way. And so with that anxiety, I want to leave you with this. It's a little piece to a prayer. This prayer is four pages long, but here's one stanza that I find to be very comforting. So meet me here, almighty God. Meet me in the midst of my disquiet. Meet me in the seat of my anxiety and bid the storm within my soul be still. Now calm my heart, O Father. Now soothe my mind, O Christ. Now breathe your peace, O Spirit, upon me. Release me from my cares, O God, as I release my cares to you. Amen. I think if we can focus on that when we have these hard conversations that can be anxiety-inducing, we can get to the heart of where Jesus is, and that is calm, soothing peace. And I think that's where he leaves us, and that's where he wants us to be. Um, And so I was thinking about that this week uh, as we were preparing for this, my minimal (laughs) effort, (laughs) but that kept coming up because I do see the anxiety that is invoked when talking about politics and religion in the same conversation, but I don't think it has to be. And by thinking about something like that prayer, um, I think we're really focusing where we need to, not on the flag, but on the cross. Hmm. So those are my closing thoughts. You know, this is a, it's a tough conversation, and there are a lot of really good people on both sides. Absolutely. So if you just think that I'm way off base or that Jeff and I are just way off base and you're just so angry right now, I'm sorry that you feel that way. It is not my goal to anger anyone. It is not my goal to make anyone irate over yep. this. It is my goal. It is my hope that all of this would point people away from any flag and towards the actual cross. And that's all I want. That's all I hope for. For those of you who want to follow William and check out his music, because <laughs> he's awesome, William, thank you for all the help. He has sat here patiently with a couple of strangers and just listened to us rant and rave. And and find out that we're actually crazy. Yeah, and he determined that we are actually crazy. Uh, his Instagram tag is in all of our show notes in every episode. Um, so make sure to check that out. He makes really, really dope stuff. Um, thanks for listening. I will say we will see you again soon. And until that time comes, thanks for listening to the Spotted Goats podcast. Have a great night, everyone. See y'all.